Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio. Your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's hosts Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. Welcome to Season 18. It's our 2023 NHL Draft Preview Part 1, powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide, and Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level at JuniorProspectHockeyLeague.com. In our Hour 1 of our first segment, uh, we're always happy to have, obviously, Brad Allen and Jason Buchla for the entire show. First segment, our topic is the quality and depth of the 2023 NHL draft. And I'll start this conversation. When I view this draft class, If I when I'm projecting out, I would say it's going to be above average in quality and quantity. And if you look historically through the salary cap era, number of players that will play more than 200 games is about 58. And then there's another 17 to 20 players that will get a cup of coffee, sort of like that, you know, 50 to 199 range are going to be in that. And I think it will be slightly above that in both. The reason why I don't, I'm not saying it's going to be good in either quality or quantity from my perspective is simply because of the defense. I, I don't see any defense that, like I would say, yes, that player projects to be a number two defenseman or a number one defenseman. And I think that quality could reduce my projection. And that's why I say that from that perspective. If, you know, and easily five, six, seven years down the road, we could be wrong in that. But at this time, that's where I have this draft class. So uh, Jason, started, start us off on your thoughts of the quality and depth of this draft. I think that it's divided into different segments. Um, you know, much of what you just introduced there, I agree with. Um, uh, but, you know, the top of the draft, uh, this is one of those anomalies, this draft class, where if you were, uh, you know, historically drafting between, you know, 12 and 20, let's say, and we wanted to call that the muddy middle of the first round, um, or if you were like the Calgary Flames and you finished just out of the playoffs, you might have been a little bit more disappointed in the past than you are this year. I, I really truly believe that there's significant depth in the first round overall. So, um, you know, if you're drafting uh, in the middle of the first round, you're getting a much more quality and much more opportunity, much more upside, if you will, um, with that portion of the draft. Um, you bring up an interesting point. This draft class has, uh, on paper anyways, looks like it's going to draft out the least amount of defensemen in the first round in, in, you know, recent. And if not, I don't know, I'd, I'd have to date it, but several, several draft class, like 10, 10 plus years. So uh, we might only get five, uh, five defensemen in the first round. We might only get four, you never know. Um, or we could get to six, you know, it's going to be, you know, there's that much parity at the back end of the first round. Um, when you get into the uh, goaltending part of it too, Shane, let's just, you know, talk about that. There's usually been an outlier or two that, you know, you would say, somebody might take a run at that kid late in the first round. You know, they have a void, and if they're splitting hairs, they do believe that that goalie is the best player available in that slot. I don't see this draft being that way. Um, I see them being second-round quality type of uh, goaltenders. And and as we know, as soon as one goes, there's always a run, right? Like, as soon as one goes, everybody starts grabbing their goalies. So um, I have a lot of really uh, attractive names on my list uh, depth-wise overall in the draft. 
But I can't say that from round three to seven, I'm any more excited overall than I have been in most recent drafts. I'm really excited in the first round. I'm um, happy in the second round. The depth of it overall is similar to some of the drafts in the past. Um, I would say I'll, I'll break it down to tier ranges as well. I think there's a remarkable top four. And then from about five to 12-ish, you're getting a very, very good player and there's considerable depth. Uh, my A's end at 15, which is the least amount of A's I've had in the last six years, uh, which is surprising to me. Uh, and then from about 16 to 35, which is for me the second round to the third round, uh, I consider it to be relatively weak because of risk for me personally. I think this draft is a remarkably risky when it comes to overall projection. Part of that is because of the what uh, Jason um, and Shane both both uh, discussed with the defending the defense in this draft, it's a remarkably weak class overall. And then uh, with the goaltending, I agree the the best goalies available I think are more second round can candidates, more top of the second round. But the the depth is there. The problem with the goalies is nine ten goalies I think should be ranked listed in this draft, but goalies obviously bring more inherent risk. So um, I think this draft is. Uh, very much one of the most overrated classes I've ever scouted because you're seeing people say best class since 2015, best class the last decade, maybe one of the best classes of all times. Um, and I think uh, when Jason just talked about where from round you know three to seven, it's kind of okay. And it's, it's, it's fine, but there's, it's not like an outlier where you're like, wow, you can't believe what you could maybe get in the fifth, sixth, seventh round. Um, so, you know, you, you factor in the Russian situation as well this year where we're having another year with this situation there, there was a deep Russian class here. That's something I discussed when I was, uh, when I was overseas in Switzerland, a lot of people I talked to behind the scenes agreed with me. This is not just good, a good Russian class in terms of depth, but the overagers actually stand out in a big way too. Problem is obviously with this Russian factor now, uh, uh, being brought to the forefront again, it could, um, uh, create more inherent risk. So there's risk in the goalies, risk in the Russians, risk in the defense. I think some of these players have tremendous amount of risk, even players that I have ranked high, like say Nate Danielson. I think there's tremendous risk in Nate Danielson when you're, when you're looking at a projection of him. It's just one of many examples in this class where very interesting talent, tremendous risk. So, uh, overall, I think it's a very overrated class in the sense from a marketing or, or a public perspective, but, uh, but it's, it's not, I'd say relatively average class with an elite, absolutely elite top end and then a very good first round. And then I think that's where the risk really presents itself after uh, you get get into the second round and onward. Well, you both made interesting points about specifically later in the rounds. And if you look historically, you know, from the salary cap on in the fourth to seventh rounds, on average, there's only 15 players that will play more than 200 games in the NHL. So of those four rounds, pick your 15 guys that you think are going to play 200 games because that's it. It's less than a player, half a player per team. So that's where a lot of the concentration is, you know, always traditionally in the, in the first two rounds and you'll get a smattering into the third and where I think it, the quality of this draft lessens, it's not necessarily the number of defensemen that end up playing 200 games. It's where they slot in terms of when they play in the NHL. It's, I look at, there's a, seems to be the majority of them are number four to number seven defensemen. And there's some number threes and I wouldn't project any of them to be twos or ones. So it's really like, it's really compacted in that respect. And I think that helps, you know, as you guys alluded to, it reduces the potential quality 
but then right up top, it's, I think this draft uh, will be driven by forwards. And the only outlier that we don't know is are which defensemen potentially could push, elevate themselves above any of our projections. And, you know, and as, as Brad alluded as well, which makes it really interesting is the public persona of what the draft class is and how that impacts how quickly players get pushed into the pro ranks. I don't mean necessarily the NHL, but into the American league. And from my perspective, when I, when we, we've talked about this on the show, all three of us is the longer runway you have with a player and the longer they take to get into pro hockey. And I mean, at the American league and then to the NHL, if they're playing in pro Europe, you know, they can be insulated there to a degree. That's where I think the, where the impact changes. And then you're trying to figure out that risk. And, you know, the quicker they get pushed in, the worse it is generally for players. Like, there's never, I've never, ever seen harm of somebody going back an extra year. I don't know. Well, like, the, one thing, the one thing I would say there, sorry to interrupt you briefly, and I know that we're going to circle back on defensemen, but um, it is interesting just from a strategic perspective. Um, if you look at the guys like Reinbacker, Sandin, Polika, Wielander, uh, and Lindestein, you know, what do they all have in common? Well, they're, they're playing in Europe. And so that right in itself um, affords the team that drafts them a longer runway to actually bring them into the American League, actually, you know, drop them into the National Hockey League if they want to out of the SHL or wherever they're playing. So I know we're going to circle back to it, but there's a lot of moving parts when you get into those decisions uh, with timelines when you start to do, you know, forecast what the actual arrival and to maximize the potential of a prospect, the timeline matters. So Oliver Bonk having two years coming out of London is a lot different than having Tom Wielander coming out of, you know, the, wherever he ends up in, in the SHL for the next couple of years. A hundred percent. We're going to take a short play, uh, break on hockey prospect radio. We come back. We'll talk more about the NHL draft right after these messages. Every play, every stat, Every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all in one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at FractalHockey.com. 
Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back for our 2023 NHL Draft Preview Show Part 1, powered by Instat, offering you the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're with Brad Allen, Jason Buchla. Uh, the next topic for Segment 2 is evaluation methodology. When you start the season, or even started it prior to that, because you always want to get into the draft minus one, is talking about what you use in terms of your methods or methodology. There are two distinctively different things, but sometimes people like to mix those two together. Initially, for me, right off the top, if you haven't seen the Obviously, you haven't seen the player before and you're going through their initial viewings, you know, whether you're watching them live or you're watching them on video and you're mixing that through the season. For me, initially, it's always intuitive based because that's your first viewing. Everything it's like you're based on, on your own personal experience, your own personal intuition. Um, there are going to be biases involved in, in that um, aspect. And you're certainly going to use heuristics, which are, you know, mental shortcuts. And I always find it it's really to separate who has hockey sense and who doesn't I'll worry about the other stuff later, like a little bit later, but really if you can't process the game at the highest level, like when I go through my methodology, initially intuitive is my first before I start collecting the rest of the data. Uh, Brad thoughts, uh, you know, on your initial methodology when you're trying to like beginning to evaluate players in a draft class in that respect. Yeah, well, from a universal sweeping perspective, which is something I have to do, um, the, the first thing I do is is uh, let the players come to me. I try to breathe a bit, <laughs> but there's a lot of hype. We talk about how social media can have an influence. You know, one, one thing I'll, I'll, I'll bring up is the fact that, you know, we're human. I, I can speak for myself, but I'm a human being, and I can try to block out noise. I can try to block out other people's opinions, but I mean, I'm, I'm embedded in this world. I get a lot of different opinions from a lot of different sources. So I really just try to, to, to stay in my dimly lit cave that I use for scouting. And I just try to let, let everything come to me. Just try to, is, is Connor Bedard really that good? That was the first thing I wanted to know. When I watched Connor, are you really what you are, what people are claiming you're going to be? Just let him come to me. So let's see what he is. Right. And that's, that's kind of how, uh, when I initiate a draft season, that's what I do. And the other thing I have to do when I initiate a draft season in terms of my methodology is I have to make sure my staff doesn't get uh, their time wasted. You know, when Mark Edwards comes to me, it's to me to come to him and say, Hey, these are the players who are overrated. These are the players who should be watches instead of probably ranked in the initial rounds. And let's save you time and make sure you get the A's and B's figured out uh, early. That's my job. My job is to create time efficiency, which is an enormous, enormous aspect of scouting, which I'm sure Jason can uh, can break down in better detail than me because he's actually done it. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, a couple of things that stand out early in the season for sure. Um, first of all, at the NHL level, like you mentioned, Shane, we already have a book on the um, 
uh, on the underage um, prospect before he arrived. Generally speaking, of course, there's outliers all over the place that that uh, come on the map um, for a variety of reasons. Um, the good news is that generally speaking, that that melting pot is a lot smaller because you've already like the big pot has already had some views, and then you introduce the smaller group that uh, were limited viewing the year before, and, and naturally. Um, you got to get to know them quicker and more efficiently, Brad, as you put it, um, early on in the process. The first thing that you have to do is, is definitely eliminate bias. So you can't you can't have any sort of bias on a player uh, in August at the Holinka tournament. Don't pre-ordain him as this or or you know knock him down off his perch because of that. Um, let him come to you, as Brad says. I think it's really important. So the easiest way to do that, in my estimation, is you know the first. Relentless compete is one of the things I always try and find. You know, everybody can work, right? So you're you're going to work or you're not. And unless you're exceptionally gifted, you're not going to get results as an offensive guy um, if you're not a competitive person. So, you know, uh, relentless compete is something that I try and identify first. Um, then, of course, skating, thinking, and um, you try and put it all together. Like, here's the reality, guys. If you can't skate, you can't think. I don't care how good you are, you can't play in the NHL. It's just the way it is. Can't skate, can't think, can't play. Um, there are anomalies where guys are, um, you know, average in certain categories, but because the relentless compete is so much better than the next guy in line, like he is going to will himself to be a player no matter what. A good example of that is like a Noel Achari play in Toronto. Like that guy wills himself to be an effective player in a role year after year. There's a lot of guys that pretend they can do that role, but guys who are relentless, they can really do that or accomplish that role in the NHL. So um, circling back, you start back at the beginning then and, and you start to get that book on the, on the player. For me as a director, if Brad's out in the, on the tour early in the season, I'm hoping that he gets three good solid early season viewings on the player, call it by Canadian Thanksgiving. And at that time, now we're starting to identify because if he just has one good weekend, that's not good enough. That doesn't mean he's a goal scorer. He's a penalty killer. You know, you have to see trends start to develop. So let's say after three good games or three viewings, you have some trends that are developing. Now we can establish reports building off of those trends. I don't want to hear the same fluff time in and time out that he does all these things great. And he does all these things poorly. Identify what they are and then build out from there. And, and the process starts to take uh, take hold on, on its own. And and then, of course, at the end of it, Shane, you, you go by the body of work, right, by the time you come to April. Yes, yeah, certainly. And you get to a point within the season where you start to, like, you know, cut that list down so that you can have focused, uh, you know, viewings of certain players. I, I always find by Christmas time, that's when you start to peel away the players and the number of players that you're viewing drops in, in that respect as well. And because – you know, as human beings, even if we're in a collective group, we have limited knowledge, we have uh, cognitive capacity issues, and we have time limits, you know, like, and that those three factors, whether you're an individual scout, or, you know, like you're, in, you were in Jason's position of, you know, managing a group of scouts, you know, we recognize that that's part of it. And, you know, Brad brought up a really, you know, important point, we talk about a lot on our show is the value of time. And just don't waste your time after Christmas. That's where, for me, it's like, that's where you you know, really compact that list and then start integrating different aspects into the view. Like when you get into live views, video, you start integrating some analytics, statistical information, some background information. Because for me, I always ask a lot of why questions. So like as you mentioned, Jason, if you are, okay, 
breaking down these theme, these themes start to develop. Once the themes start to develop, I start asking why. Why are these themes developing? And then yeah. that sort of starts to lead me down that track. Something that I would recommend is, as, and I know that we've had long discussions, Shane, and, and, and even Brad, when we were overseas, we had some talks. One of the things that I'd like to see the fraternity, or if I was running the staff today, do it differently, is that, yeah, Brad can identify the top dog in a, in a territory. You know what I mean? Like the Connor Bedards and the Fantillies, those are easy, right? Those are guys that directors should be able to go in and view and then you know they're going to learn a lot about them intimately on their own anyways like so let's call it the top two and a half rounds brad for argument's sake but what i really need for an area guy to do is really mine down especially in the salary cap era guys from rounds three to seven when you can really trump another team and find good depth in your organization in those rounds guys that'll play even 100 games shane that's value right and in a salary cap environment that's extreme value so don't waste all your time on the high-end guys after Christmas if you're a regional guy because we need to find the diamond in the rough. The high-end guys you circle back to, obviously guys like me are laying our eyes on them more often. Analytics are everybody. So um, I'm just suggesting to you guys that the real the real work for guys like uh, Brad in an area come in the middle of the draft, and it's extremely important. Well, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Go ahead, Brad. Oh, I was just going to say that one thing I, I try to do is when I evaluate um, classes and, and um, who's drafted who and why, I, I the first round is it's the easiest round to predict. It's the easiest round to cover. It's the easiest round to know. It's it, you, when you see the – for instance, I remember, Shane, we, we talked about with the Columbus. They got Sanstile's disposal in the third round. That's value. That Now mm -hmm. we're talking real value. That's what you need to do. When your third rounder looks like a potential top four projection, maybe top pairing, now you've hit a home run. That's where you that's where you can separate yourself as a team. Right? That that's that's the projection. Igor Shisterkin was not what was Igor? Fourth round pick, fifth round pick, right? Fourth Arguably rounder, the best goal believe, in the right? world. Right. Yeah. Fourth round. But these are the types of things you need to get in terms of, of a draft, is is get remarkable hidden value in certain areas. That's why that's why it's very important for scouts to I mean, obviously I think NHL teams have done a very good job recently relative to the past to be able to scout Europe and, and the other factor is the Russian factor. If you can get excellent quality Russians, Dmitry Ryshevsky, fifth round pick Winnipeg. If he comes over, watch out, right? That's how, that's how you, you, you really bolster a draft. That's certainly hundred percent. And you know, that's why I find when we have collective conversations about methods and methodology of how you try to evaluate players, as we start to learn from each other and take a little bit from each um, person and just add it to your toolbox. We're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio, but stay tuned. We'll be back right after this. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. 
The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. It's Hockey Prospect Radio, our 2023 NHL Draft Preview Show, Part 1, brought to you by Fractal Hockey Consulting. Through an integrated series of best business practices, we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. In this topic with Brad Allen and Jason Buchler, we're going to talk about ranking methodology. Because scouting evaluation is one skill, and ranking is a completely different animal in that respect. So, you know, just to sort of backtrack, I had built myself my own performance management system so that I could weight players for my ranking more effectively so that I could pre-weight certain aspects of their skill sets and, at- and attributes and their playing biases, and then I could put my weighting in so that it would be automated at the end of the day. So I just pushed all my data in there, whether it's my scatting reports and statistical information, analytical information, any information from background into it, press a button, spits it out. And what I have found is it's a really good tool to help reduce my influence of biases. Like, uh, but it's also was a really good tool for performance because if I, started having the same mistakes of like, okay, a certain style of player, I had them higher and they didn't work out and they didn't work out. It allows me to go back and go, okay, what did I do wrong? What am I waiting? So it allows me also to separate and power forwards. It was the bane of my existence. That is my bias. I like them. I know their value and they also have scarcity because there's very few of them. So I've actually had to go back and tweak that a few times to figure out based on what style of power forward, ends up being in the NHL more regularly than other certain styles of power forward. So Jason, in that respect, um, thoughts on how you, your ranking methodology and things you've done in the past, because I always find that's almost as fascinating or more fascinating than the actual evaluation process. 
So uh, I don't want to bore you guys, but I'll take you back to the beginning because uh, in Nashville, when I started in Nashville, there was a certain strategy and they ranked the player a certain way. Um, and then when I got to Florida with Scott Lucener and Janelle, um, you know, they had already established a certain way that they wanted to rank players. And then, of course, we made uh, some changes and those two guys are enjoying an immense amount of success in Las Vegas. I'm very happy for them. Um, and then we made some tweaks to it again in Florida after they left. Here's the thing, guys, like um, you hit it right on the head. There's a lot of balls in the air, isn't there, Shane? Like every year you're dealing with a brand new crop of players. Um, the league as itself is evolving year in and year out. Um, less body contact, more speed, more straight line speed. They're, you know, more of a lean towards a certain type of skill player. Um, so here's here's how I work it out. In the, in the first round, Brad, you're going to agree it's, it's relatively easy because, you know, it's best player. Like, let's just be honest here. And it's not only boots on the ground, you're laying the eyes on the player. But, you know, generally speaking, your analytics community, um, you're going to be close enough in, in the first round for the most part where there's not going to be a lot of argument going on. There will be in the middle, certainly. OK, but you're going to rank them accordingly based on their skill set. And it's got less to do with projection. There's always projection in there. So don't get me wrong. But it's there's less to do a projection in your top 15 picks compared to your, you know, a guy at 115. So um, you have to eliminate your bias. Absolutely. <laughs> in the first round, especially. Um, but having said that, there are times that if you're splitting hairs on player A and player B, player A might score a lot more than player B. But is player B Tom Wilson? And do you want to have Tom Wilson in your roster to complement the rest of your roster going forward. Like how many, how many more points and how much more space do your skill guys get when you add a body like that? You might not get as many points as the guy drafted ahead of him in the draft, but you get, you know, situational uptick for your entire group. So those conversations come into it. We drafted Lawson Krause for that reason in Florida, Shane, and our analytics people didn't like it. They hated it as a matter of fact, but he's an outlier, right? A big body who can skate, score 25 goals now probably and do a whole bunch of different things. So I know I'm kind of gargling here a little bit. It changes after the first round. Um, you're still always trying to look for the best player, but you do have some needs that you have to start to fill out in your organization as well. Goaltending is an example um, as, uh, as you work your way through it. So eliminate bias, have the player come to you and evaluate him based on merit in his draft class. Don't, don't, one of my biggest scariest thing is, well, who do you compare him to? Well, by the time he arrives in the NHL, if I compare him to Joe Pavelski, Joe Pavelski is going to be retired and the league has changed uh, two times over. And now, you know, that skill set doesn't complement what I'm trying to describe. So it's delicate. Mm, to, yeah, to, to Jason's point, uh, first round BPA, second round, this is the, the thing that I said, I think some people are still, uh, a little behind on realizing is that like BPA falls off. It really is systemic need depending on what your team needs. Uh, there, there are certain player types that they hit bordering on tradable in today's game, especially on the defensive end, unless you're willing to give up a center. It's very unlikely. So you have to be uh, a very astute at drafting and you have to know your system, know what your team needs. So uh, yeah, definitely a, a huge transitional shift between the first and second round. One thing I think that people underestimate is that top 10, top 10, 12 players and, and how that assessment has to take uh, place. Um, so I'll tell a little bit of a background story. One thing I look for and, and uh, how I came to the conclusion what, what I look for and, and it, it uh, 
generalized to hockey prospect. All of us hockey prospect look for it. That's I, I'm I'm very fortunate in some ways. I, I got an opportunity um, in the London Knights final home opener uh, to sit down and talk with Mark and Dale Hunter. And for uh, for our listeners who don't know who they are, um, I've never met two more pure blooded hockey men in my life. They're the most emotionally integrated people in hockey I've ever met, and they've turned out the most prospects that have made the NHL and CHL history, which is one of the greatest accomplishments in in hockey. Um, and I'll tell you that the first thing they look for, you got to have the talent to play, but the first thing they really look for, it's character. It's the, it's knowing that when the game is on the line in the most important matchup possible, the most important series of, of that player's potential career, that player is going to step up and peak. That's what you need to find in your top 12. And that has become more difficult in this new age game, because you got two types of players. You got the player who can help you get to the playoffs. Then you got the Matthew Kachuk's of the world who can help you win it. And that that's, and I bring up Matthew Kachuk because he doesn't only help you win it. He actually falls back in the other category too. Those are the unicorns. They get you into the playoffs. Then they win you the playoffs. Some of these players aren't built like that. Some of these players are meant to help you get there. Then they fall off a train. They fall off the tracks. They're not the players who are going to actually get you over the top. So there is a, there is a balancing act now that I feel is discussed behind the scenes, not really publicly acknowledged yet, but we'll bring it up here, which is that you're looking for two types of players. The guys who can get you there, the guys who actually help you in the playoffs, the Sam Bennett's of the world. Jason, perfect example, Sam Bennett. That's that's somebody who steps up in the playoffs that's not as good during the regular season, right? Danny Breyer just got hired in Philadelphia. Unbelievable playoff performer. Incredible in the playoffs. Right. Great in the regular season, too. But in the playoffs, you knew what you're going to get with him is going to be his best. So top 10 to 12 for me, you look for what Dale and Mark Hunter have always looked for. That's the guy who can get you over the top. That is not easy to do. That's one of the hardest things to do as a scout. Yeah. What's also interesting to wrap up this segment is when you get past into that second and third rounds and you're looking for specific needs and values, it's also what provides the greatest value in a potential trade from your asset management. So if you look at the trade deadline or you look at off-season trades, what are the certain player types that always drive higher value than every other playing style? And it, you know, generally it's the two AD men that can play or the number four to number six guys, you know, and that doesn't sound sexy, but they're tremendous value. And you, if you can collect them in that bottom, that second, third round, because you look at what's more valuable at the end of the day is a number three D-man or a second line winger that can score. I'll take the number three D-man every day of the week because just the, not only the value to your organization, because they're not as rare, they're not as like plentiful as people think. And then if you have to move one, which you don't want to do, but if you have to for any specific reason, you're going to get a, a large return for him. Like well, Jake Muzzin. Look what he got in return from like for, you know, going to Toronto. I mean, those things happen. So you got to think about that aspect of, okay, who's most who's like brings asset value, not just for today, but for tomorrow in that respect. And that's where I, I really like to take a look at as how I weight certain playing styles that they're giving more value in my draft list because down the road, if you collect them, never hurts to have more number four to six defensemen. And if you, and people can sometimes look at that like, Oh, what's like, who cares? No, no, those are guys are huge in your lineup. What happens at the trade deadline every year? 
let's let's go get depth defensemen. So from that standpoint, uh, we're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. Stay tuned. We're going to talk about defensemen right after these messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. It's Hockey Prospect Radio, our 2023 NHL Draft Preview Show Part 1, brought to you by Fractal Hockey Consulting. Through an integrated series of best business practices, we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. So now we're going to talk about four defensemen on our list we are going to exclude the two Russian defensemen and a couple other defensemen. We're going to cover them later in our shows. So we're going to talk about uh, Pelika, Reinbacher, Willander, and Lindstein. So right off the hop, I'd like to get both your thoughts. Uh, we can start with you, Jason, on Pelika overall in terms of the his value projection within this first round group because there's a limited amount of defensemen comparative to other draft classes. So Sandin Polika, he is uh, he's a traditional, well, a new breed traditional. We used to call him new breed, but now it's becoming traditional. But uh, he's a transitional defenseman, right? So outstanding feet, arguably one of the best skaters, top three skaters in the draft, I would suggest. Uh, agile. Uh, he got a lot of mileage out of his season, guys. Like he played on some huge world events and, you know, uh, played big minutes at the World Junior Championships. Um there are nights that, um, 
you know, he falls off a little bit with his detail defensively. They're young, right? They're 18, so it is what it is. But his attributes, you know, he's competitive. He's an elite skater. He's a, an efficient puck mover. Um, better than secondary offense. But I'm not going to go out on a limb and say that this is an elite uh, power play quarterback. He needs somebody else with him on the power play at the NHL level to complement his skill. Um, so he's not, you know, he's not like Hughes in Vancouver. Like, don't, don't, don't misunderstand what he is at all. Um, bumper, not really physical area defender, but let's be honest, he's got value, right? Right shot, right shot, puck mover, transitional. That's that's a big deal. Brad, give me some thoughts on Reinbacker in that respect, as it sort of contrasts to Pelica, because you know he's going to be in the same sort of range in terms of where where they're both drafted. Yeah, I think of Reinbacker as uh, more of a modern-day insulator who can do a bit of everything. Uh, very good uh, from the point with his shot, and, but he's not hes not anything like Pelica in terms of the lateral agility to be able to reopen seams or, or pass the puck like Pelica. Uh, much more raw in terms of his physical projection right now relative to Pelica. Pelica is a fully coordinated athlete. What you see is what you get in terms of uh, skating coordination, puck handling. Uh, in terms of Reinbacker, there's still a lot more there that you, you hope to see come out out and down the road in four to five years you know not the most coordinated puck handler not the most agile skater but very powerful uh projects to be able to insulate in the top four uh very physical one thing about Reinbacker when you want to pair him i know we're going to talk about bonk in a later segment but uh they're both pretty similar in some regards they're both clean players that project to insulate a, a more well-rounded offensive defenseman in some ways but Reinbacker is the one that brings the heat I think Ryan Backer is much more physically mature and competitive player from that regard. I thought he was very good at the Worlds. Uh, one thing with Ryan Backer is uh, I don't think in most drafts that he would be a top 10 player just based off of talent level. But in terms of positional need in this class, 6'2", 6'3", 200-pound right shot defender who can play in the top four, that's a unicorn. You're going to go grab that pretty quick, especially in this type of class. So uh, I think he goes very high, even relative to his skill set. Um, and it's not a horrible idea if you think he can really play. Um, so I, I like him a lot. I think he was actually better than David Jurasek was uh, at the Worlds last year. Um, and that's because his skating held and his recovery rates held where Jurasek's couldn't at the same age. So that tells you about the skating base. And I still think there's a lot more work in terms of physical projection. So a lot to like about Ryan Backer, but the upside's more limited than you would think with a player like such as a con contrast, more Sider. This is not a more Sider type of upside. Think, think more 25, 30 point insulator. Yeah, I, know, I find that really interesting in terms of, in my projection for both of them, like at their peak years of playing in the NHL is there are three, you know, like Pelican could be more an offensive three, Ryan Backer could be more of an insulating three. That would be their peak, you know, so they're kind of falling depending on the group that they're playing in it could be three, four. And that's the question is in the normal year, you know, we're more defensemen, do they fall down? But as Brad alluded to, because of, you know, the, the low number of num potential number threes in this, in this draft class, I think their value increases because there's scarcity in that. Uh, Jason, let's get your thoughts on, on Tom Willander. And, you know, when you're trying to look at him in terms of his potential ability within that first round grouping, you know, cause we have, you know, the top end guys, and then, you know, then you're looking at, okay, second line forward, second line wingers. And then where do you put a guy like Willander in that respect after, after his viewings? 
Well, Willander has been the guy that's uh, improved steadily from the beginning of the year all the way through. So his progression in relation to some of the other players that we're talking about um, has arguably been the most progressive. Like he took uh, his his skating and his stature is very similar to uh, Pelica. Um, I would say he's a little bit wider, a little bit bigger, um, but his skating is is elite as well. So they're they're very similar that way. So he can track bucks. Um, he's hard to, there's, there's some plays even at the, uh, U18 worlds where he would, a puck would get dumped into his zone. He'd pivot, go back and get it. Two American players are trying to track him to create a turnover. You know, even if the first guy's trying to take the body, the second guy's trying to come in and get a loose puck, but he's so elusive. He takes it to a safe area, reverses the play where there's no pressure now on his partner. And they go up the ice on the other side of the ice open ice because of his speed and the way he reads the play. So Willander two way more than transitional in my estimation, but his offense came a long way at the end of the year. He started getting more pucks on net. He was uh, used on the power play more often. Uh, he doesn't shoot it exceptionally hard, but he finds space, right? Like he's got a little deception. So he finds that lane to get a puck to the net. Um, he's going to be very interesting guys in the first round. Cause I believe, that some teams value him very close to some of these other guys. So he could be a trade-up, trade-back type of a target this year at the draft. Yeah, it's really interesting you said that. And so, Brad, we look at, you know, Will Ender and Lindstein and talk about Lindstein in terms of, you know, him coming in a little bit later. I think, that, like, as we talked about generally, defensemen hard charge after Christmas, right? They get, they get more comfortable in their situation and they start to play at a much higher consistent clip um, than prior to Christmas. So talk about Lindstein as it relates to the other three defensemen that we've discussed. So Theo Lindstein's a very interesting prospect from this draft, just from a debating perspective about where you take this kind of player. So there, there was a, there was a, some brilliant work done, um, by an analytics scout who was discussing how Trent Frederick was taken too high by Boston, right? And the the, the idea is that just because they have some safety to them, just because they have a five, high floor, doesn't mean that you should be taking them anywhere near the top of the first or second round. And Lindstein kind of promotes that type of debate because of what he is. So he is a, I think, uh, bottom pair, bottom pairing puck mover. Very vanilla in some ways, very streamlined in some ways. But what's interesting about him, the quality that really stands out about him is the technical playmaking. He's a brilliant one-touch processing, technical saucing playmaker. He can move pucks through layers. He's very calculated. He plays with a tremendous amount of structure already, which got him uh, playing to, uh, the full-time in SHL, which is the, he was the only defender who played full-time in the SHL this season um, out of any of them. So, you know, Pelico split uh, where, where he got to play full-time. So, it's one of those situations where he's Mr. Vanilla. He has the least amount of projectable upside, but he also is a very interesting floor. And if you can get an above replacement level third pairing defenseman, well, some teams might really jump on that opportunity if they project this draft to have as much risk as I do between 16 and 35 or 16 to 40 range. See, and that's interesting. We always have that debate about what's the value of ceiling, what's the value of floor, because, you know, we need to accumulate assets for your organization. That's the whole purpose. And, you know, do you take more risk with a guy with a higher upside but a lower floor, particularly when you get to that 23 to 35 range of the draft is because if you look at historically, like the, the number of players that play on average 
more than 200 games in that in that grouping, it's not as high as people think. You know, you're looking at in some cases 35 to 50 percent in that range of actually playing 200 games. So that's where you start to look at. You start to make that debate of, okay, well, you know, we'll sacrifice upside for certainty. You know, we live in an uncertain world, and, you know, and general managers love certainty. They'd much rather have something, you know, the bird in the hand than two in the bush in that respect. So there's always that everybody gets goo gaga over upside and like projection. But sometimes it's nice to have that utility defenseman that ends up being a number four that you didn't think. And maybe Theo Lindstein is that. Uh, we're going to take a short break, but stay tuned for hour two. And we'll be back right after this. Every play. Every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio, your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's your hosts, Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. This is our two of our 2023 NHL Draft Preview Part 1 and Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest devel- developmental stream for student athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level at Junior Prospect Hockey League.com. So we're with Brad Allen and Jason Bukala. For the next hour, next four segments, we're going to do our versus comparison and contrast between two players. And this segment, we're going to do Adam Fantilli versus Leo Carlson. So, gentlemen, this is where you get to spread your wings and, you know, really discuss what you think about these particular players as 
know, as individuals and then, then how they compare and contrast to the other player next to them. So Brad, let's uh, start with you on Adam Ventilli versus Leo Carlson. It's your, you know, we've been collecting data all year long about these guys. So it's the opportunity to, you know, to really dig into what your thoughts are of these players. Okay. Well, I'll start by saying that uh, since November, I've had Leo Carlson ranked two and I had a tier range where Bedard and, and Carlson are in that tier range solo together. That's it. Rather, Ventili goes down the elevator. It's never been close to me. Um, I really feel the world championships help solidify my opinion on that. I really think that Leon, I think that in five years, Leo Carlson has a chance to catch Bedard and maybe surpass Bedard. That's how good Leo Carlson could be. I think in terms of his raw projection, he's much further out from being a finished product relative to Adam Ventili. Uh, Adam Ventili is one of the most unique players I've ever scouted. Uh, one thing that, you know, just for, for a bit of a black book reference, um, and the book's coming out soon, but one thing I wrote about Ventili in it is that he, he is a truly unique player in the sense that he thinks he's a fourth line grinder who has to play every shift like it's last, but he's a first, first line talent. That's super rare. It's unbelievably rare and it makes him a very unique player, but I'm going to end this debate right now. I'm going to say it right now. Leo Carlson is an Anzi Kopitar, Leon Dreisaitl hybrid, number one center. I do not think Adam Ventili is a center. I have never thought Adam Ventili is a center. I think it's solidified with what I've seen in the last couple of months, even though he's been absolutely tremendous in the NCAA. I don't think he reads and reacts to the game uh, very well. I don't think he anticipates play defensively whatsoever. I think he is a streaky but brilliant, tenacious winger uh, who's, who's going to be a first-line winger, but he's a winger. The other thing I'll say about Adam Ventili is that when you have a player where his hockey sense is relatively average, uh, they typically fall in redrafts. I think you're going to see a bit of quit and byfield effector with Adam Fentili long term. I would be surprised if he's a top three or four pick in a redraft. That said, I still take him uh, pretty high up there just because of what he brings and the intangibles and the compete is off the charts. Well, Jason. Wow. That was that was something. We're going for, for sure. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, tell us how you really feel. So, um, you know what? There's We're at the top of the draft and – you know, it's it's going to shake itself out long term, no question. Um, the thing with Fantilli for me is uh, I have to uh, agree with Brad in some some aspects here. Before the season started, uh, I thought that Fantilli was the type of kid that played like his hair was on fire all the time. Um, had a little bit of Rico Fata in him, had a little bit of Mikey McLeod in him in terms of you know speed, but really what was going to happen uh, all the time. You know what I mean? Where was the consistent consistency going to play out? And was he going to be too hard to play with because he's always playing so fast and at times a little bit erratic? Um, I really felt that that the World Juniors, he showed that he can be uh, utilized in a variety of roles. I thought that his character shone through because, as we all know, high-end guys who go to the World Juniors and have to play out of position, they have two choices to make. Suck it up and work your way through it and find a role and you know participate to the best of your ability. Or... You know, there has historically been guys who just can't do it. They just fall off. They become like the 13th forward. They're not They're not capable of it. Fantilli was the opposite at the Worlds. He then took his offense to a whole new level, uh, level uh, when he got back to Michigan. Let's not uh, underestimate uh, the fact that he was also surrounded by some pretty good players, like-minded players at Michigan. So I get it. Carlson, he's a little bit more cerebral. He's a big rig, handles it exceptionally well. I love the fact that he can absorb contact on the half wall, extend plays. I look at him as more of a distributor than a shooter long-term. 
I love his hockey sense. There's lots and lots to like there. I would be lying to you if I didn't say that I would be splitting hairs to a degree. I would love to walk off the draft floor with either one of these players at two. I really would. Um, the the uh, the fact of the matter is that Fantilli for me um, projects at this time to be able to not only score and play fast and play physical, but be used in a variety of roles. And I guess maybe his floor might be a little bit higher than Carlson. And we could argue that Carlson's ceiling could be higher in the long run. Time will tell. Um, but I honestly think that this is a comparison that we're forever going to be splitting hairs on. I think that whoever gets either one of these players are going to be happy with having them. And it'll be one of those things like the rest of the league wishes they had. them. So there's not enough to separate it for me to flip it. I've got Fantilli two, Carlson three. Okay. Well, I got a question for both of you then from that respect, when I watch both of them play, let's start with Fantilli for that matter. Would he be far more effective because he skates like he does where there's sometimes not much change he's like a straight line speed would he be more effective and because he's also loves to shoot the puck he does he need to have somebody who is a primary playmaker on the wall a, a player style similar to like an alish hemsky in that respect does that make him more effective and does the team that draft him really have to get into his ear about using the give and go if you're going to effectively take, you know, use your speed effectively to push defensemen back and create time and space for your line mates, you must like, do you, does he need to use the give and go to be more effective to start to eliminate some of the things that Brad talked about is well, use your line mates to do that more than, and then let his size and speed, you know, cause disruption. You're talking about a reaction off the puck. So if he moves it somewhere, you're talking about where is he going after he moves it to somebody. Yeah. I mean, I would argue uh, that Gavin Brindley, part of Gavin Brindley's rise, if you will, and I think we would all agree that Gavin Brindley has is, is, is tracked upwards since the beginning of the season. Um, part of Gavin Brindley's success as well, if you break down a lot of Fantilli's games, is because of Fantilli. Like his speed through the neutral zone is so respected that he gains entries by a defenseman not gapping up timely enough. And that gives a little drop pass to Brindley coming late. Or as long as the, the winger isn't uh, you know parallel to him, if there's a little bit of separation on the angle, he creates more for his or his uh, line mates that way. So um, I don't know that he needs to be the guy that has a playmaking winger per se. I think that he's going to be a play driver and open up more space off of that himself. Uh, what do you think of that, Brad? Uh, I agree to to an extent. Obviously, the toolkit, the handling ability, especially at top speed, is is truly unique, right? Like this is a player who's just a remarkably conditioned athlete. Like it's one thing that really stands out about Fantilli's game is the conditioning. Usually, we talked about Pelic earlier. You mentioned how uh, defensively, there, there's times where he has an off switch or he he doesn't recognize the play. I think part of that comes down to his conditioning. There are times where he's he's really not running we, we out of gas. About the U20s even. He's running out of gas in the U20s, and you saw his play, especially defensively, uh, be subjected to more errors, higher error rate as a result of the fatigue. Fentili is a very unique player in the sense that his conditioning never lets up. So his error rates for whatever he is, it's not going to decrease nearly the degree you see in most other players. So from, from that uh, projection, even though I think he's a, his hockey sense is relatively average, because he's not a, a fatigue style player where he's going to be stuck in air most shifts, it will at least give him 
uh, uh, line driving potential is the result of that. He's not going to cough the puck over as much as, say, theoretically, if he didn't have the athletic base to go with what he is. Um, th- there is one aspect of Fintili, though, that I, I think is up for debate. It falls in the Nate Danielson category as well, which is just how high-end is their playmate, right? Uh, do you give me an idea of this? Like, with, with Nate Danielson, the worst high-danger lateral passing rates out of any top-end prospect for me, and I track them myself. Uh, with Fintili, he is susceptible to, to being a higher turnover rate player, specifically when he has to try to measure the trajectory rate of his teammates when he's not seeing them. So when he's peeling off of pressure, when he's trying to reverse it into a player and then find his high danger lateral option for or high danger option from low to high from these below the area, he has difficulty at times. When you look at the playoffs now, you're looking at the semifinals. One thing you're looking at with these overtime games, look how clean the play has to be. Look at Merrill Hiskinen playing 30 minutes a night, how clean he operates. Fentili has to get there in terms of the operating success rate. That's where some of the projection becomes wonky. Yeah, that's that's interesting. You know, and then when we talk about players at this level, we're always we. That's when we start to become nitpickers in this respect. So that's really what we're doing in the in in this you know section is you know sometimes we get caught nitpicking and it's okay because you know we're all passionate about what uh, we're talking about. We're gonna take a short break and we'll continue the versus comparison contrast right after these messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. 
This is Hockey Prospect Radio and our 2023 NHL Draft Preview Part 1 by Outside Edge Hockey Player Development on and off the ice training features KPI-based conditioning programs at outsideedge.ca. So we're now going to compare and contrast two guys from the U.S. National Development Program in Will Smith versus Oliver Moore. Uh, each of them are going to different universities. Each one played on, obviously, different lines of the program. We saw that at the U18s as well. So start off with you, Jason. Thoughts on the comparison and con- con- uh, contrast of both Will Smith and Oliver Moore from your perspective? It's a fascinating comparison. I'm sure they're really excited that we're talking about them in the same vein here. Uh, we're comparing them anyways. It's um, Will Smith's pure offense. Um Wants to have the puck, wants to have the puck in the offensive zone all the time. Um, he's got a ton of cheat to his game, guys. Like, and you know, but there's there's lots of guys that came through their draft. Patrick Kane, who played here in London, you know, he was almost allergic to the defensive zone when he played here in London, but he turned out to to have a pretty good career as well. So, <laughs> um, you know, with Smith, um, my my issue with Smith, and I don't really have an issue, but if I would like when we're talking about it symbolically right now. Uh, you know, the, the detail that he brings to the game is a lot different than some of the other kids in this category, in this range of the top of the draft, right? So he's a risk reward guy, but he's going to reward you more often than not. He's going to be dynamic on the power play. He's always in motion. Doesn't have a lot of bump and grind to, uh, you know, his repertoire. Uh, but when he goes to college at BC, he's going to have to mine out better detail. I think we would all agree with that. It's going to have to get better. His, his three-zone detail is going to have to at least be average. It's all it's going to have to be is average to, to have the rest of it take over. More, on the other hand, this guy is um, similar, really, when you want to break it down. He's not this guy, but there are similarities, you could argue, to like a Fantilli where he plays exceptionally fast all the time. Like this kid is uber competitive. He's up and down the ice. He played, uh, there's only one puck at the program there. Their top line, you know, got that primary ice and did a lot of scoring. Moore did more than his share of scoring in a secondary role. Um, And then he played some key defensive minutes. So he was better on the penalty kill. Pressures pucks up ice, you know, more tenacious to get it back. Um, but more, don't discount this. Uh, similar to Fantilli, if we want to use it as a as an argument, there are moments in games where Moore's line mates seem to be a little bit out of sync with what he's doing based on his approach. He plays so fast, and um, you know, like his hair's on fire, and that can, you know, that's going to have to evolve a little bit so that he can uh, be more of a playmaker at the pro level. Love is compete, relentless. Yeah, uh, one one conversation uh, I'll share I'll share with our listeners that Jason and myself had when we were talking about Oliver Moore is, and I'll, I'll steal Jason's line from him right in front of his head. When Oliver Moore crossed the offensive line, I don't know if he always has a plan, right? And uh, and it's true that that's so. There was a bit of Michael McLeod, a bit of Brad Lambert, which is what I suggested to Jason at that time. I'll share here, which is that. Um, He's an adaptive processor. I mean, when he gets over a line, he'll adapt in real time to what's available. He'll dynamically interpret it. And then he uses his toolkit and his aggression and try to attack the uh, defense in the way he can. That does not mean, though, that he mentally maps the ice very well. And it means there's very little. Uh, let's go with our team of Panarin as an example of this. Not a player who looks to use tempo control, systematically slow down the play and readjust his lanes. Is not how he works. He's he's on fire sometimes. So uh, that's that's where you have to shave the ceiling now. 
However, uh, what Jason discussed with the compete level, well, there, there's the floor. The compete's off the charts. The kid's as tenacious as ever. And that's the real contrast with Will Smith. Uh, to Jason's point, the attention to detail with Smith, I, I honestly am very worried about Smith in some ways relative to the other top end talents in this class. And that it's not that he doesn't have it. It's that I saw no development in it personally. I felt like he was very similar off the puck from the start of the season to the end of the season. That worries me, especially when you're talking about a kid coming from the Harlem Globetrotters, a.k.a. the program. The program is an opportunity for players to not learn detail. <laughs> That's how I look at the program. It worries me. And when you're talking about with Will Smith, when you're talking about the top end of a class, we just talked about, I just discussed what you're looking for, that top 10 range. One thing that you really don't want to have on your hand is projectable risk. When you're talking about top five player, I want to be very comfortable knowing that I got the guy. Will Smith is a difficult analysis from my perspective because of that, because he's so brilliantly talented. Technical playmaking is brilliant. He's a brilliant thinker of the game. He's unbelievable with his playmaking ability and upside from that perspective. But the rest of his game, there are flaws that you that are you you atypically you don't want to see in that range. So a very interesting conversation. Uh, very very different players too. Very different projections. Yeah, One thing I would just say real quick, Shane, is that um, if we want to compare a player from last year's draft from another program and Logan Cooley to Smith. Where, where I trust Cooley and I've seen more growth on in his game off the puck and tracking back the full 200. I see more of that in him. And, and of course, Smith could go as high as three in this trap. Let's be honest. That could happen, right? But there's the big difference right there. One guy cuts the ice in half. The other guy has learned and progressed. You put it perfectly, Brad. His off the puck, his read and react, his – his willingness to, to you know, oh, I got to get there to defend. I need to make more of an effort here for the group. Um, it, it trumps some other uh, guys like Cooley, trump a guy like Smith. And in those situations, I, I kind of go back to the quote when Mike Bossy was drafted. I look, how many guys can do what Will Smith does offensively in not only this draft class, but in the NHL? How many guys can do that? Let's just take him and we'll figure the rest out later. And in terms of his development, because we're not going to ask him to come into the NHL as a 19 year old, probably shouldn't ask him to come in as a 20 year old. But can we can we take two years to help him with that? You know, this is what you need to do. All the other stuff. Don't worry. It's clear that you have that. Is it Jason? Could you put him in that sort of category in that the upside is so high that if we have X amount of time, we can get him to what you called what we need to have him is just simply average. No, I think that that's absolutely accurate. As long as there's a buy-in on his part, when he gets around a player development staff with an NHL team, I think that the buy-in is going to be obvious. Here's here's where you got to go. So um, that's that's a fair assessment. That's a fair statement. In terms of all of over more, I mean, we look at it. Let's and and you guys had brought it up in the previous segments about, and Brad had said, okay, here's the players that get you to the playoffs and here's the style of players that help you win in the playoffs. And if we look at what the Florida Panthers have done this year, how many of those guys, there is a group of guys in that roster, that hair on fire and how contagious that is and how disruptive and how much chaos that causes, you know, in some situations in the regular season, you're going to see players like Oliver, like, you know, Oliver Moore, probably maybe get himself into some trouble in that respect and turnovers and things happen. But in the playoffs, when there's such stress that every play matters, sometimes chaos brings its own 
unique utility to an organization. And I think, you know, this playoffs with watching the Florida Panthers reminds us of that. So, you know, Jason and Brad talk about a little bit about, you know, Oliver Moore and that the chaos generation that he can bring. Well, I'll start by saying that when your top six is 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 flat during a playoff game, that's when you need your energy, your energy players stepping up immediately, and that's what Moore will bring. More, more is more is somebody who who will raise a bench up when when it's flat, and that that will be the the thing that I'll say is Will Smith is projecting to be more the 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 player that gets you to the playoffs. Oliver Moore is the player that looks to be the one that will step up much in the way Tyler Landry did for Dallas the other night. Right, that's that's the projection. He'll be the guy that. When you need two goals from him out of nowhere, he'll give you those two goals. Right? That that's kind of the projection of Moore. Um, you know, Moore Moore's floor, I, I argue, is one of the highest in the entire classes. It, where you draft him is totally dependent on how you feel he can contribute in a playoff run, and and obviously where you think his ceiling really comes into play. Which is, admittedly, there's a very wide range of, of spectrums with people's opinion on this player. Some people think he's a first liner. Some people think he's a second liner. Some people think he's middle six. I, I tend to think more third line to middle six, depending on, on the situation. Um, so that's really, you rank them based off of where you evaluate the actual offenses. More is a two slash three for me. I call him a two and a half. I know that sounds ridiculous, but that's what he is. He's a two and a half for me where a guy like Smith has to be a one or a one and a half in order to have an impact on your roster come the hardest time of year. Cause he's not going to grind it out. Uh, on the road versus uh, unless he turns over a completely new leaf here, but he's not going to grind it out against the Chuck's line on the road in playoffs. That's not his role. That's not his MO for more. He reminds me more. has got a little bit of uh, uh, he's not, I think he's got potentially a little bit more offense, uh, but he, he reminds me a little bit of Vinny Trocek sometimes more. Right. Like Vinny, Vinny, Vinny's zone entries coming out of junior. And even when he came up from the American league, and he got to the NHL like generally speaking, he got too predictable on his zone entries. Like he wasn't going to share it to an area where, so he could, it was easier to be defended because they knew opponents knew that they could step up and defend him. He wasn't going to make plays uh, around him very well. His spatial awareness was predictable. Um, and that's where more might break down a bit. So um, that's why I think he's, he's a two slash three. I think he's a secondary plus scorer at the NHL level. Um, but I'll tell you, like you're going to know that you can throw them over the boards to kill penalties and do these other things. And that's important guys. That's important. So I like him come playoff time. We're going to take a short break on hockey prospect radio. We'll continue with our versus segments right after these messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown on their own, they're essential, but altogether they're undeniable. Introducing huddle Instat a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. 
Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at FractalHockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. This is Hockey Prospect Radio, our 2023 NHL Draft Preview Show, Part 1, an outside edge hockey player development for on and off ice training featuring KPI best conditioning programs at outsideedge.ca. We're continuing our player comparison and contrast, our versus. Uh, next segment is Matthew Wood versus Colby Barlow. So how about that, gentlemen, in terms of, like, let's stoke this even higher um, in terms of this discussion. So, Jason, let's start with you in terms of the comparison and contrast of both these big, strapping young players. Well, it goes without question that uh, when you talk about both players, you're talking about guys that between the dots and the offensive zone, have great puck touch. Like they find pucks in guys' feet or they don't need a lot of time and space to go barred down. They got great, uh, they have quick release, accurate release. They're heavy enough to uh, shield a, a defender and uh, do what they do best, which I believe is goal scoring. Um, for me, for both of these guys, uh, and I know that uh, especially in Barlow's case, you know, a captain in own sound and, um, you know, he's proven to be a leader, you know, at a young age in his career. And for me at the NHL level, it's just going to come down to foot speed for both of them. I don't, you know, Barlow, I, I feel like I'm out on my own island a little bit here. So I broke down some tape personally. So I think uh, I don't want to over emphasize too much here, but I want our, our listener to imagine what I'm saying here. Some skaters, when they're, uh, pushing themselves to their maximum momentum. They have their postures, uh, they have good posture, but they're they're bent over. They're getting the most amount of power out of their legs. Some guys um, stand up too tall and they lack knee bend and they don't get as much power, as much glide out of their stride. And there's times with Barlow that he will track very well and he's got some speed, some explosiveness, but then he gets tall when he fatigues. And when he does, he's got some Patrick Maroon in his, believe it or not, if you put them side by each, you take a look, he's got some Patrick Maroon. Now, listen, Patrick Maroon, even a junior, skated straight up and down. So don't misunderstand me here. But there are some pace concerns for Barlow. Wood, it's the same. Although he had his moments. Like, he has his moments, uh, Brad, even overseas at the under-18s. Like, he had his moments where I had no, no concern about his pace. I thought he did very well, you know. And then his big body and the rest of his 
skill attributes go to work from there. So for me, power body, great release, goal scores on projection. Uh, character is uh, seems to be in place for both of them. I'd like to see more consistency out of Wood as a comparable to Barlow. Okay, so I'll, I'll make a couple points on this contrast. So the first is that I think Colby Barlow is way more physically developed than Matthew Wood at this stage. Like Colby Barlow, what you see is what you get. This is a physically developed monster. <laughs> this kid's a beast. Like he's he's not very tall, but he's he's as wide as he is tall. He looks he, on the ice. He's a very intimidating force when he wants to be. Um, I think he's a very tenacious player and has a higher rate of compete on average relative to Matthew Wood, who's a bit more up and down. Um, that said, I think Matthew Wood finished the year very strong, especially at the U18s. I thought his pace of play was improved. I thought he was much more physical when he needed to be uh, and that that carries from college too when he was later in the season he was much more comfortable using his frame which he's going to have to do uh the, the way i kind of describe matthew wood right now is he has to be a power forward but he doesn't have too much power yet so it's it needs to come uh where colby barlow it's already there um and that that goes right through his functional foundation in terms of coordination when you look at colby barlow's shot it's already nhl level it's already where it needs to be. With Matthew Wood, you get a much bigger, wider range of outcomes, expected outcomes within his release. Sometimes the release looks world class. Other times it falls well short. And that's OK. That's not uncommon for a, a larger player who's still developing within his frame. It will come. They're both, as Jason said, natural goal scorers. Uh, one of the biggest differences between the two is Wood's a Wood's lot, lot taller. But Wood's also, I think, a primary playmaker. I think Wood is a natural dual threat. I do not think Colby Barlow is a natural dual threat. Colby Barlow is is a secondary playmaker relative to where his his, his shooting ceiling is. So that's, that is one of the bigger contrasts between the two players. But I really like both players. I think they are two of the three most impressive uh, power forwards once you get past, uh, you know, Fentili and you look into the next range of players. It's, it's For me, it's them and then Butte, the Daniel Butte. Those are the three big power forwards to me that are very interesting new players. In terms uh, one thing of I would say, Shane, is that, and you hit it right on there, Brad, it was really good, is um, Wood adapted to the college game, which is coming out of Tier 2. Like, college is a fast, hectic style of play. Like, people who go to college games compared to junior games, they're different. Different, right? The structure is different. Um, what Wood did at the college level as a freshman was he did exactly what you just said. He was making plays, like distributing more, not just being like that 45 goal guy in junior where he was like 45 and 30, I think, or 45 and 40 at tier two, where he flipped it at college. He was like 11 and 23. So he did show you that that secondary element, which was uh, that's a good identification by you, Brad. It's one of the things I'm glad you guys brought that up. Um, talking about you know, primary playmaker over primary shooter when it comes to power forwards. And, you know, in my research, I have found that the power forwards that are more primary playmakers over shooters tend to, in a much larger number, play more than 200 games in the NHL. And their shot will come a little bit later. May not be bet the greatest, but it'll come a little bit later. And so not to say that that's going to be a hindrance of Kobe Barlow, because I think the difference why he'll succeed is character drive tenacity like he has those um attributes mental emotional attributes that are tangible they're not intangible they can be measured um, and they have been measured for like decades in social sciences but i think what's really interesting is that normally i would put wood ahead of colby from that perspective just on on a ranking but then colby's other attributes that's where 
you're going to sit and stare at those two players for a while and go, okay, each are going to bring this, then how much is that worth? What's the value of that? That's what I find really interesting from that standpoint, Jason. There's going to be quite a separation too. So strategically speaking here, like Barlow appears as though he's going to be a top 10 pick and then Wood is going to be after that. Right. So, um, you know, certainly on my list, the uh, wood is is uh, significantly. There's a gap there. There's a gap. So um, there's going to be some strategy involved if uh, whoever's picking wood or targeting wood, for example. Um, you know, they're gonna they're gonna be maybe moving that pick around a little bit. So these are conversations that happen, similar to Wheelander in uh, in Sweden. That could be a Matthew Wood type of situation as well. Like we really love him, let's step up and get him. Or, you know, we got three guys in this range. Let's trade back and, and hope that he's still there. Um, so it's going to be it's going to be interesting. I, there are a few things that win out for Barlow. And that's just the bottom line for me. Like, you know, he's he's been uh, a more consistent, efficient goal scorer, uh, captain of a team. And, um, you know, more noticeable. I don't know how else to put it to you guys. More noticeable shift in and shift out on a regular basis at the uh, OHL level than Wood. There's sometimes, like, we can't discount it. Wood's got a little uh, Kale and Richie in him where sometimes you're like, you just want a little bit more, right? It's an off switch. Yeah. Well, how much is that question then to you, Brad, is um, that off switch is based on, because you talked about it, his conditioning, but also his growth. Like, you know, as he gets bigger, stronger, when you have that power behind you and that conditioning, your mental and emotional aspect of your game doesn't drop off because you don't get fatigued and how much is that a factor into that you know what really honestly i think was the primary factor is why we saw less of the beginning portion of the season because he was validated with his play coming from the bchl in the bchl he could do whatever he wanted he did not have to pay for the repercussions of of having poor puck management so when he got into college one thing that really stood out to me wasn't managing pucks very well he had no rate of recovery because his skating base wouldn't hold by the end of the season, you saw him managing possession better. You saw more structure. That's because he was aware of his weaknesses. He's, when in BCHL, he'd do whatever he wanted, right? You saw this with Kent Johnson, too. Kent Johnson would try a lot more low danger, uh, low percentage shot, uh, shooting angles when he got first into college because they worked for him. He was validated by the BCHL. Then in college hockey, he went up against goalies that could that could stop him short side. He had to start adapting his game. That's what I think we saw out of Wood over time. He started adapting his game from the BCHL to college, and now you see a much more consistent variation, though, to Jason's point, not nearly as consistent as Barlow. That's one of Barlow's greatest strengths as a power forward, usually looking at more raw, inconsistent projections. Barlow, you're not. Yeah, and that's and it's a matter of like runway. If you get the extra two years in college for Wood, and he plays all three years, does that make the difference? Does it? Does the gap begin to, you know, come closer together as they get into their peer, you know, their peer group, kind of like prime years of like twenty three to thirty from that standpoint? But we're gonna take a short pr- break. We'll be back for the last segment right after these messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. 
Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. This is Hockey Prospect Radio, our 2023 NHL Draft Preview Show Part 1 of 4 and Outside Edge Hockey Player Development for on and off ice training. Features KPI-based conditioning programs at outsideedge.ca. So this is our last versus player versus player comparison and contrast this segment, we have Dalibor Dvorsky versus Nate Danielson. So, couldn't find probably two different people. May fall Ooh. in the same grouping, depending on how you value players. So, I always I, I picked these two players on purpose because I thought it would be an interesting discussion. So, let's start with you, Brad, in terms of Dalibor Dvorsky versus Nate Danielson in terms of their comparison and contrast. Well, Dvorsky played his full season in the Elspenskin. For our listeners, that's the second uh, tier pro league in the in the um, uh, Sweden. So the SHL is the primary league. Elspenskin is their secondary league. I bring up Elspenskin because it is a very good secondary pro league. I, I think it's one of the better ones out there. Um, there are a lot of good development stories coming from that league over the last couple of years or several years. Uh, so Dvorsky, the reason he could play up in the Elspenskin, there's two factors. One is that uh, he's a very tenacious, competitive player, so that allowed him to play up against men despite being uh, physically at disadvantages at times. The other is that uh, he, when it comes to you look at his, his his technical shooting ability, his technical handling ability, his technical playmaking ability, just the raw aspects of them, they're very impressive. The problem with Dalbert Dvorsky is that he is not a cohesive package within how he operates and uses each one of those uh, uh, fundamentally. So, for instance. When you look at the shooting base, he relies too much on his shot quality without using his teammates in transition. The, he, he works and operates in a vacuum and in a tunnel when he doesn't need to. Um, the other is that 
it really reduces the rate of what his technical playmaking means because <laughs> no, no point of having your technical playmaking ability if you can't actually see the teammate you're supposed to pass to. So it uh, falls into a bit of the Oliver Moore category. We're too busy operating a little too fast for what he is, right? Um, needs to learn to breathe, let the game come to him a little bit instead of trying to go head on and attack as often as he does going one-on-one -on -one against defensemen. Um, but that said, improved his skating base this year. Uh, he's a 200-foot player. He's a responsible player. The question mark for me, and I know for some other people, is that not a very agile skater. You need agility to be able to hold at the center position. In order to be able to track players, stay in front of players, be the third defenseman, you need to have agility. He needs to work on it. That's one of the big things. Mechanically speaking, not an overly efficient skater, relies more on his power. In contrast to Nate Danielson, we're talking about, to me, top five skater in this class. Brilliant skater. It is the foundation of his game, is why he's so aggressive north-south. Arguably the strangest player in this class to me. On the surface level, you're saying, okay, well, if he can skate really fast and you look at his, you look at his shot quality and you look at his shooting mechanics, that does project to be a Jakub Vrana style of, of north-south player, doesn't it? Well, guess how many goals he scored off transition at high speed? One. <laughs> so, okay, hang on. Well, let's look at his playmaking rates then. What, what we talked about earlier, his high danger lateral passing playmaking rates are the worst that I track out of any player in this class in the, at the top 32 of the class. So what does that mean? Well, Nate Danielson right now is a remarkable skater who on any given play at a very inconsistent rate can make you believe he's more than the sum of his parts and more than what we've seen this season. For me, he's one of the furthest projections out, and I think that might likely be a, a streaking winger uh, that can be tenacious and be useful and cause havoc uh, to defenses when his handling is in sync with his skating ability. Um, but in terms of like trying to actually get a sticking point on how you project him, I think he's one of the, one of the players with the high, highest uh, outcomes in terms of spectrum of range of outcomes might be a center might be a winger might be a third liner might be able to move up way past the third line very very interesting bizarre player well jason huh. that was pretty good um so i'm gonna go against the grain a little bit unfortunately here for brad but uh um, like <laughs> yeah so uh Dvorsky for me um you know, some things stand out uh, in his two years uh, development, if you will, in the AIK system. He's obviously played some J20 and he's he's played with the big team as well, right? The Al Al um, with his own age group, you know, because there's been that that kind of there's been things floating around out there where he hasn't really uh, produced to an identity, the element that everybody expects him to produce to. I think that we can all agree on that. Um, but, you know, at his own age group over there, 43 games played, 30 goals, 31 assists in the last two, two years. Pretty good, right? 61 points, no question. His, uh, his uptick was marginal playing with the men. What I saw at Christmas time at the World Juniors was a player who was better suited uh, playing the wing at the J20 level, uh, at the national team level. Um, real good stick from the half wall. As we all know, this kid shoots it from range. He's got... A really, he might have the most one of the quickest releases. Otto Stenberg's like this as well. They shoot the puck efficiently from range, really quickly. Like they get it off their stick very quickly, and and there's some deception in that, right? Like the goalie can't get set, or the defenseman can't front the play as as, as efficiently. So, 
Um, skating wise, I'm less concerned about the Borski. Uh, some other people are much more concerned. I do think that his agility has ways to go. I don't think his mechanics are horrendous. So I think that there's, you know, is it going to mean that he's got to play the wing in the NHL? Maybe we'll see, because as you know, playing the middle, you got to go up and down the ice a lot more than playing the wing. I love his offense. He spiked at the end of the year. My comparable for year-end performance is Yuri Kulik last year at the under-18s, where Dvorsky came to the under-18s this year. Kulik went like 28th to Buffalo or wherever he went. Dvorsky is going to go way earlier than that in this draft class, but I'm talking about that spike offensively at the year-end. You know, like he was sixth in the in the tournament scoring. He was almost 60% in the face-off thought. These are good qualities. Like he, he played a well-rounded game, and I thought he made people around him, Brad, better at that tournament, actually. So that was a good good uh, event for Dvorsky. Nice that he ended the year that way. Danielson, on the other hand, I'm perplexed, just like you are. I uh, I like a lot. I like that sometimes as the first guy in the forecheck, he'll you know engage physically and extend a play or knock a puck to an area where its support will come in and get a free puck. I like sometimes that he'll go to the uh, he'll play the bumper on the power play and he'll find pucks and you know good things will happen offensively. Um, there's nights that you know his skating I'm like real good solid skater. Then there's other nights it's like you know uh, is he like is he pacing himself here like what's going on I'm not I'm not sure I can't put my finger on it. So here's where I'm at with him. I, I project him more as a two way forward than uh, a one or a two and but he's not really a middle sex a middle six either like he's in he's in between for me is he going to kill penalties is he going to be the secondary scorer i'm not sure um so he's undefined in a lot of categories i'm going to peel that back a little bit and say this a youngster playing all the situations he didn't bring lots of ice right all situations maybe less would have been more for him to be more defined in a couple of concrete categories um, and I'm still working that out. You know, it's interesting you said that, Jason, because when I've been watching him play, I had this feeling of like, what, why, why have I seen this before? Why have I seen this before? And then I went back and like read some stuff on Mike McLeod when I had written up reports and it kept coming up. I don't know what he is. I don't not sure where he's going to play. I don't know what style he is. Well, like, what's he going to do? Right. And that's I'm stuck in that boat with Daniel. So I'm like, like, what do you uncertainty is really uncomfortable for a lot of people. Ambiguity is a, really uncomfortable for a lot of people. And that's where certain guys like that can sometimes drop if you're just unsure of where what is he? And I think your point was really salient in the fact that, you know, too much like when a player just gets the big bag of boulders thrown on his back and he's doing everything all the time particularly when they get down the stretch you get into february and march and they're running out of gas just physically mentally emotionally because they always have to be at a hundred percent all the time now how does that affect their game and because they're doing everything the swiss army knife style what's like what can be defined in their game so i I find i you know i thought both your guys' points uh on danielson really fascinating so this has been another episode of Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM, NHL Network Radio, powered by Instat Hockey and Junior Prospect Hockey League, Fractal Hockey Consulting, and Outside Edge Player Development. You can listen to the show on your favorite podcast network on Sirius XM. 
uh, or on the YouTube channel. Follow us on Twitter at HP Radio and at HockeyProspectRadio.com. Thank you to both Brad and Jason. And stay tuned next week for part two. And we will see you at the rink.